it has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. It was the Montana State AA Girls High School Softball State Championship. Billings West was taking on Missoula Big Sky. In the double elimination state championship, Missoula Big Sky had already defeated Billings West in the first round. However, Billings West won four straight games only to face Missoula Big Sky once again. Big Sky hadn't lost a game yet, so Billings West would have to beat them twice. And in fact, they beat them the first game, and now they were tied. And it was the championship game. There in the championship game, tied 2-2 two to two in the bottom of the seventh inning, which is the last inning of high school softball game, Kendall Bolts of Billings West stepped up to the plate. Two outs. Kendall Rock, the pitcher of Missoula Big Sky, stared down her target. She began the windup and the pitch four times. Two strikes, two balls. Kendall Bolts, a 10th grader, with all the stress that a 10th grader could handle, waited for that next pitch. The pitch came. She swung and she missed a strikeout. But wait, the catcher did not catch the ball. So Kendall bolted, no pun intended, to first base. The catcher retrieved the ball and threw the ball to first base, but it sailed over the first baseman's head and landed in the right field fence. Kendall Bolts rounded first, started slowing up at second, but her coach waved her on, so she headed to third, and the throw was up and over the third baseman's head, and now Kendall dashed home. She was safe. Her team won the state championship on what reporter Ben Rohrbach called a comedy of errors. Three strikes but not out. Three strikes and a home run. Could it be that this story marvelously illustrates a very important principle in feeling lost, but being found by Jesus? Three strikes, but not out. Kendall thought everything was lost that there was no possibility of success, but somehow, some way, not only was she not out, she scored the winning run. Today, as we complete this series, we are going to look at the life of the story of a person whose relationship with Jesus took quite a few twists and turns. I find quite a few things in common with him, and you might as well. The date was somewhere around 27 AD, and there he was. He was working the nets. He was a fisherman. He was from Bethsaida on the western banks of the Sea of Galilee. He was a Jew, 
And though he didn't receive any special training, no doubt he learned at the feet of his family, likely his mother. He knew the Bible stories and he longed for the Messiah to come. As a Galilean, he would have had a reputation for independence and energy, which often would run out into turbulence. Galileans were a more frank people and had a more transparent disposition than their brethren in the South. And Galileans also had difficulty with the guttural sounds of the Hebrew and Aramaic languages. And they also had some other difficulties in their speech. And so their pronunciation was reckoned as very harsh in Judea. But this Galilean fisherman, he experienced a sudden change in his life when he was called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. He knew Jesus and followed him. In fact, the Bible records that when he was called to be an apostle, he immediately left his nets. In every list of the apostles, you will find that his name is always listed first. He was the first apostle to identify Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. And yes, he walked on water with Jesus. He witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus. Yes, this man was Simon, called Peter. Now I want you to fast forward about three and a half years from that day that Jesus called him by the sea. I want you to fast forward. The night was different than any other that he had had with Jesus. The mood was very different. It was a somber mood and there was tension in the air. They had gathered in the upper room for what would be the Last Supper. Missing from that evening's festivities was the servant who would have washed the disciples' feet, who would have washed the feet of their master Jesus as they would have entered the room. Along their journey that night to the upper room, they had been arguing about who would be greatest. And now each one of them each one of them, including Peter, looked around and wondered who would make the first move, who would take on the lowly task. Simon called Peter, nicknamed Cephas, the stone. He wasn't going to move. But then to his utter dismay, it was Jesus that made the first move. Jesus got up from the table. He picked up the basin and he began to wash the feet of the disciples. John chapter 13 tells this story and we pick up the story in John 13 and in verse 6. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, 
He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Jesus demonstrated that we need to be cleansed by him. Now, while baptism symbolically washes away our sin, we need an occasional reminder. Communion is that symbolic reminder. Jesus had hoped that the foot washing would prepare his disciples for something that was going to be devastating for them to hear. That night, after he washed their feet, he talked to them about his imminent death. And Peter did not understand, but responded in his typical aggressive way. John 13 records the conversation beginning in verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. The word deny that Jesus used was a strong word, quite literally translated. It means to disown, to renounce, to despise, to reject. Jesus predicted that this strongly supportive Peter would go against the principle taught by Jesus in Matthew 16, 24 of practicing self-denial and instead Peter would actually deny Jesus. Can you imagine how shocking it must have been for this disciple who is known as the rock to hear those words? How would that even happen? As Peter's mind began to spin, Jesus said something else. Now, I want you to remember, friend, that chapter and verse division in the Bible was introduced much later in history. It allows for easier navigation of the scriptures, but it was not the way John would have written it, nor was a chapter and verse division how Jesus would have spoken it. So the very next words out of the mouth of Jesus, after giving Peter the unbelievable news that he would deny him, are recorded the words of John 14, 1 to 4. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Now, I wonder if Peter truly grasped the next words out of the mouth of Jesus at that time. The Greek word for troubled would have been the word terasso, which means to be shaken up, thrown into confusion, to be disturbed or unsettled. Jesus was trying to bring hope in a desperate situation. Friend, are you living in a state of confusion? Does life seem like it is just unsettled right now? then Jesus' words are for you. 
and for your hope and for your assurance. Jesus says you believe. Now it's interesting to note that the word for faith and belief in the original Greek are the exact same word. You have faith, you have belief. There is no difference. And Jesus then said to Peter, and he says to you today, although you're distressed, do not fear because I will come again. You see, his coming, his returning was not a possibility. It was not a plausibility. It was then and it is now today a guarantee. But what happened next? Now, you probably know the story well. After leaving the upper room, they went to the garden called Gethsemane. And there you'll remember the mob came from Jesus The Bible records that Peter stood to fight. And in John 18 and verse 10, it says these words about Peter. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? After three and a half years, Peter had not grasped that the ministry of Jesus was not about destruction, but about salvation. Remember, John 3, 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But this great warrior, the rock, Peter, he still didn't get it. What else happened that fateful night? Just a few chapters back, it records those evening moments in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 57. And it says these words. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. And he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. You see, dear friend, literally, Peter followed him afar off. He was close enough, yet far enough away as to not be seen. He wanted to see, but not to be identified as one of his disciples. What a dramatic fall. First drawing a sword to fight, now lurking behind in the shadows. The Bible then records a sad transpiring of events. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 69, says this. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear saying, I do not know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him before the rooster crows, 
you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. The Bible says that Peter denied Jesus. We talked about that word. The Bible also says that Peter cursed and he swore. To curse means that he invoked divine harm upon himself if it wasn't true. And he swore, which means he made an oath. Here was Peter, the first to acknowledge Jesus as the Christ, but now the first to deny him. Then the rooster crowed. Certainly the scene from the upper room came back to his mind. He had been so sure of himself that he would never deny Jesus. The Bible says that he went away and wept bitterly. Imagine the mental agony of Peter. Was there any hope for him? Is there any hope for any of us? Peter may have recalled an earlier conversation that he had had with Jesus during a less uncertain time. That story is recorded in Matthew 18, verses 21 and and 22. There in Matthew 18, he, he undoubtedly would have recalled the words of Jesus when he asked Jesus the question, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. You know, I, I wonder if Peter asked himself if Jesus could really forgive him. Peter had denied him not once, not twice, but three times. Isn't it in life three strikes and you're out? He was highly favored. He was one of only three disciples who witnessed Jesus bringing a girl back from the dead. He got up to go to the Mount of Transfiguration, one of three. And just like that, he had been asked by Jesus to go to the garden to pray, one of three. Now what? What kind of future did Peter have ahead of him? Peter left that place weeping bitterly. He found himself back in the garden and he poured out his heart to God in sincere repentance. And here's the beauty. God did not give up on Peter. And he had something beyond any expectations Peter could have had planned for him. Peter had been the first to acknowledge Jesus as Messiah. He was the first to deny Jesus And as the disciples received news that Jesus was no longer in the tomb, the Bible records that he was the first disciple to go into the empty tomb. Luke 24 verses 10 to 12 records how that happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. You see, friend, at first Peter didn't understand what had really happened. But Jesus appeared to Peter. And then to the group gathered in the upper room, imagine the joy of Peter's heart, Jesus was alive. He was not in the tomb, but he was alive. But wait, what did that mean for Peter? 
Could Peter be restored from his denials? John chapter 21 records the dramatic story of what happened in Peter's life and friend, what can happen in each of ours. Sometime after Jesus' resurrection, the Bible shares this touching story beginning in verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Peter was saddened by this line of questioning. But the story goes on. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple who Jesus loved following, who also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You see, Peter, who denied his master in the hour of his death, would witness for him through his own death. He would literally fulfill Matthew 16, 24, those words of Jesus when he said to his disciple, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The three questions Jesus asked no doubt referred to the three denials of Peter. Three times Peter denied Jesus and now he was given opportunity to three times affirm Jesus. There is an ancient Near Eastern custom of making a declaration three times before witnesses. Peter, in fact, my dear friends, had been restored. The book Desire of Ages, a classic on the life of Christ, says this. Three times Peter had openly denied his Lord and three times Jesus drew from him the assurance of his love and loyalty, pressing home that pointed question like a barbed arrow to his wounded heart. Before the assembled disciples, Jesus revealed the depth of Peter's repentance and showed how thoroughly humbled was the once boasting disciple. For Peter and for us, when it comes to being accepted by Jesus, three strikes is not a guarantee that you're out. Jesus longs to restore us. He longs to restore you Jesus had another purpose in dealing with Peter this way. The desire of ages goes on to explain this. The Savior's manner of dealing with Peter 
had a lesson for him and for his brethren. It taught them to meet the transgressor with patience, sympathy, and forgiving love. Although Peter had denied his Lord, the love which Jesus bore him never faltered. Just such love should the under-shepherd feel for the sheep and lambs committed to his care. Remembering his own weakness and failure, Peter was to deal with his flock as tenderly as Christ had dealt with him. God is faithful despite our unfaithfulness and treats us with such love and tenderness and compassion even when you are in despair and your sin is dragging you down in the dust of the ground. Even when you are striking out, don't ever stop believing. Jesus is looking for you. He wants to restore you. He can take the strike out of yours and turn it into a home run. He can change and transform you no matter how far you have wandered. Jesus is looking for you to accept you back as his son, as his daughter. The promise of Isaiah 1:18 can be true in your life. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be as wool. You may have been away from him and not know it. You might be in a church but feel lost or might have intentionally walked away or maybe you've even denied him. The promise of Jesus is he will take you back. He will restore you. Though you've been lost, he will find you. He will restore you. And all of heaven will have a celebration when Jesus ultimately brings us home to be with him and we are there forever safe in his arms. The Father will be waiting for you. Will you go to those open arms? Heavenly Father, though many of us have experienced three strikes in our life, although many of us may feel like we are out, the promise of your word is not that we are out but rather you want to restore us, remake us, reshape us. And so today we come to your everlasting arms that you would redeem us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. My dear friend, Jesus, with his relentless pursuit of you, wants to find you. Will you make yourself available to him? like to give you the DVD of this series, Lost, that you might grow in Jesus, that you might see his everlasting love, and that you might fall into his arms and find hope in him. Here's the information you need to receive today's offer. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca. That's www.itiswrittencanada.ca and select the TV program tab. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Call anytime. Lines are open 24 hours daily. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H 7B4. My dear friend, 
Jesus was able to redeem Peter from his three denials, to restore him fully, and have Peter be a leader in the early church. He can restore you as well. Friend, I hope that you have found in Jesus a forever friend who will love you through all things. Please join us again next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.